Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Mic Night Podcast. My name is Marcos Luis. I'm the host. And I want to thank you guys all again for joining me and welcome all the new people who have subscribed on YouTube. I really appreciate you. And all the people who are leaving comments and listening to the audio podcast. We're available on all digital platforms. Follow us at One Mic Night. One Mic Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. This is a podcast for artists and entertainers and people who motivate you in life. And I hope you're enjoying this podcast, but this episode is a special One Mic Night episode. So if you're under 18, please make sure you have a little parental guidance. Uh, The subject matter today is a little more serious. So I wanna thank you for this episode. My guest today goes by the name of Ben Jamar Smith. And we're going to be talking about some issues of uh, concern that affects our community and how we navigate our way through life. So please welcome him to One Mike Night Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for uh, spending your time and and making the time to come here and join me on this one. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. So first of all, do you go by, do you go by, Ben, Jamar, what's, what would you like? Uh, Jamar, you can call me Jamar. Okay, so we'll call you Jamar. Listen, I have questions. (laughs) (laughs) Ask away. You know, first question is, who is Ben? Who is Ben Jamar Smith? But who is Jamar Smith? Ben Jamar Smith is actually an educator um, in D.C. public schools. Wow. Um, Currently, yes. Um, I say... uh, someone who has survived to uh, get to a place where I'm now living um, and teaching others who are trying to survive and who have survived um, to live. Um, and when I say survive, I mean extreme childhood trauma. Childhood so, trauma, okay. Yes. So let's let's go back a little bit. Where where were you born? What's Where are you from? So I'm... I, I was born in Florida in a very rural area. Um, I, I actually was born in Palm Beach County, Florida, west, western Palm Beach County, in a small place called Pahokee. Um, Pahokee. Pahokee, yes. Pahokee, okay, um, it sounds small. <laughs> it's very small. Um, there, there, there actually are a lot of athletes, professional athletes that come from there mm-hmm. um, because, because there's not really a lot of technology. So the kids, when it comes to running and athletics, 
are very agile and athletic. So I was born in that area, but I'm actually from Martin County, uh, which is called Indian Town. Indian Town, okay. <laughs> Indian Town, very little small hmm. rural town where everyone knows everyone. And uh, matter of fact, we only had one red light growing up. So wow, that is small. That is small. small. What was life like there for you? Um, extreme poverty. Um, not just my family, but all all around. Um, the only work was agriculture work. Uh, I was primarily raised by my grandmother um, because my mom, my my biological mom. Um, she experienced a lot of physical and psychological abuse from my dad, um, so much so until she developed schizophrenia. Um, and so life was difficult. Um, as a kid, my, I, I have a sister who is a year and a half. I'm the oldest of five, mm -hmm. first of all, or firstly. And so as a kid, uh, my sister, who's a year and a half younger than I am, we would watch my uncles because my mom would be wandering the streets out of her mind, she would go days without eating. Um, and so we would watch my uncles go in the streets and find her, restrain her. They would drive her five hours away to McClinney, Florida. And uh, there she would be placed in the state mental institution at the time they had state mental institutions for months at a time. And so life was hard because for me, um, I'm, all, I'm one who can remember a lot. And so a lot of the nuances of that being the oldest of five, I remember. And so because our community was small, everyone knew everyone. So going to school was challenging because people would say, why is your mom walking the streets? We heard your mom is crazy because adults say that at home and right. kids here. And so it was that type of nuance. A constant um, reminder of what was going on too as a child. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and then on top of that, people really did not have a, a really good grip on the science of mental illness. And so my family didn't understand. And then, so it was that component because uh, you would hear family members refer to your mom as crazy, not meaning to, but it was what they knew. And then there was the violence that, you know, that was involved in it, you know, um, and then violence committed against you. Uh, my mom was very violent at times. And she's no longer here. She, uh, she passed in uh, 2017. But she was extremely violent, um, particularly when she would be um, in that mental state. So it was nothing to get burned with a cigarette. It was nothing to get punched. You know, um, I, I made reference in a video that I did, punched in the head so hard that you literally felt like the inside of your head was burning and you couldn't remember the next moments. Um, I remember one day um, being slapped in the eyes with a belt um, and me actually um, telling my mom, you know, you hit me in the eyes with the belt and she went to hit me again. So at that time I was a little older and I snatched the belt through it and we were going to fight, but she backed off and I ended up leaving, but it was that type of trauma. And then, you know, watching my mom be in relationships. Um, um, I made mention in the video of uh, at one point, my mom was dating a, a guy and she was pregnant for him uh, with one of my brothers. And we had gone to um, his house that morning from my grandmother's house. And um, I was sitting in the car waiting on her to come out 
And um, something said to me, get out and go in now. And when I got out to walk up to the trailer where they were, he had a machete in his hand and he was crying and bursting glasses in the floor, drinking glasses in the floor. And my mom, who was pregnant at the time, looked, you know, horrified. And so in my little six-year-old mind, I'm thinking, I can't let this man hurt my mom. Right. Yeah, of course. So I'm trying to fight this man. And, and eventually he ended up catching me after a, you know, game of, you know, chase, basically trying to get me. And then so I'm jumping in between this man saying, you're not going to do anything to my mom when I'm six years old. So all of that time of trying to protect, you know, them, my mom and then my siblings trying to look out for them. I, nobody other, other than my grandmother who did her best, nobody was really looking out for me. right yeah this is interesting because a lot of a lot of people of color go through the similar situation the same situation it's not an uncommon story you know we hear about a lot of times the kids trying to protect their mother the mother who is you know uh whether it's drugs or not you know just in in some sort of oppression um where she's in a relationship that's abusive and then it in turn you know goes to the child, you know, you're abusive to the child in some way, or the person that she's involved with, who may not be your biological father, abuses the child. Right, right. Absolutely. It's a cycle. It's definitely a cycle. Absolutely. It stems from, as we can sort of say, probably economic depression of people of color, you know, and being in a small town, being from a small town, and not being able to find a way out and not knowing that there is another way out. So you turn to things like alcohol, you turn to things like drugs to alleviate the pressure and the pain and, you know, be someplace else. Right. Those maladaptive behaviors that we do just trying to survive. I think that's one of the things that I realized later on after going through therapy. I know we're not there yet, but we develop this external shell to try to protect the inward person that really is that, um, I wouldn't say soft, but we most I, I discovered that I didn't even really know who I was because I had put on such an external shell. Right. Just trying to protect myself that I was protecting myself from knowing who I was. Right. Well, I it's it's I was your coping mechanism, mechanism, yeah, coping. coping mechanism, yeah. you know. Absolutely. To, yeah. So that you could just make it to the next day or make it beyond the next day. You know, Absolutely. and we do that. We do that as kids. We do that as adults. We do that as people. When right, some sort absolutely. of abuse is going on. Yeah. yeah. So back to, okay, so the relationship between your mother and uh, her current partner, was that an abusive relationship for you as well? Was he abusive towards you or the kids or? Well, my, I, I will say this about my mom. Um, from, from what I hear with her and my father, uh, he was abusive towards her. But I will say that when we came along in, in relationships, she never allowed any of that to take place. Not that not that I saw. So when that incident occurred with him, um, she she left him alone and then she just moved on. Now, my brother later came later on. So she, she still has a child by him, but she left him alone. Later on in life, um, she did end up remarrying where that husband was abusive. But by that time, I was an adult, but I still had younger siblings who did experienced you, that. Did you, did you feel like the protector then? Did you feel like you had to intervene sometimes and protect your younger siblings? 
at the time I was in grad school um, and I did not find out about it till later. I, I, if I had known about it, I probably, I may have not, I may not have been sitting here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be sitting here. Right. Uh, if I had known about it. But um, yeah, it, it, it definitely, um, my, my younger siblings, it definitely impacted them as well. So you went to grad school. How did you how did you feel? How did you get out of that situation? Because a lot of times coming from small cities, you know, we don't have a scope of of the world. We don't have a scope of what we can possibly do to make our lives better. I, what, what, what gave you the courage? What gave you the eyes to do something like that? So firstly, neither neither of my neither of my parents had finished high school and my grandmother grew up during Jim Crow. So she didn't have access to high school. Absolutely. If, Very. Right. Common so, story. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Um, but my grandmother um, was was really our anchor and saving grace. And she pushed school. She would often tell us, listen, I didn't have access to an eighth grade education beyond uh, you know, beyond the eighth grade and eighth grade education. So when you go to school, I understand things are going on at home, but you better sit and learn. You can be in a place, but not be of a place. And she would always say that. Mm, yeah. And so that was our that was our foundation. Prayer was our foundation. And so um, when I got in high school, I was kind of moseying, moseying along. I was going to school, wasn't taking it seriously. I think my my GPA at one point was a 1.5. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. But I would I mean I would literally skip class two classes two and three weeks at a time. Um and my grandmother worked so much she she was she didn't get phone calls because I would intercept them all and then hang up the phone. Right. So uh, there was but I, I could always sing. Um the, the the um my pat growing up my pastor's uh, wife had a uh, was a music minor and so uh, she sang she sang opera and so um she heard me sing and they would they would make all the kids sing and she heard me singing and then from the time I was five she started making me lead songs in church and so um, when I got to high school I was a part of this singing group and we had um we had performed and did a live televised gong show and we actually won over the music teachers group. So the next day he came and found me and this was my junior year in high school. And um, and he asked me to come by and see him and I did. And um, he said, um, has anyone ever talked to you about um, singing in, in an organized group where you learn um, the discipline of music theory, the, the whole discipline of music? And I said, no, he said, you have the type of voice that you can actually go to college off of a full scholarship. Mm. And uh, he asked me to come and audition for his special, they had a special group called uh, the Showcase Ambassador Show Choirs. And he asked me to audition and I, out of about, I guess 30 something students, I was one of five to get in. And um, he became very ill the next year. Um, his name is Ron Eugene Staley, shout out to his wife if she ever sees this, but um, he became very, uh, ill the next year and could not complete the next year, but what he said to me resonated. And so I pulled my GPA up high enough to finish uh, high school, um, enlisted in the military. Uh, I graduated June 9th, June 23rd, I was in boot camp. And while I was in the military, I started thinking about putting my life together. Um, and after I did two years, I got out, they started the AmeriCorps program under Bill Clinton. 
I did that. And when I did that, I also started college, didn't have any support, but I walked on a college campus and told them I wanted to major in music. Uh, they sent me to the music department and I sang a song that I was taught in high school from Professor Ron Staley. And the lady looked at me and she said, um, you have a full vocal scholarship. She, had, she said, you have one of the purest voices I've ever heard. And um, wow. and I ended up singing classical music, and I had never sang classical music before wow. in my life. See, I love that. See, here's the thing. Here's three things right here: God, the arts, yeah, and the military saved your life. Yes. That's Ooh, crazy. Man. That's crazy. Yeah. How integral? How integral of a part was religion throughout your life? So were you, were oh, you going through church throughout? Ooh, yes. Yeah. My grandmother. Um, not just going to church, but my grandmother um, really believed in um, being a light in her community. She's very well respected. She not only raised her, her eight kids, but also uh, several grandkids, great grands and, and people in the community. And she, would, she, she did field work. So she worked, she would get up five o'clock in the morning go to work six o'clock and work till six, seven o'clock at night in the, in the hot Florida sun doing horticulture and field work. But she would come home. And even when my mom would be ill with the mental illness, that lady would, that lady would moan in prayer and travail in prayer and rock back and forth for two and three hours. And it, it and it just got all in your soul. And so uh, I learned um, early on that, um, that God can do anything. He, 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 you know, he can bring you out of anything and that he's a very present help in the time of trouble. And so I learned from my grandmother at an early age that if I call him, he will answer and he will show me mighty things that I've never seen. Amen. So that, that was, uh, that was my anchor. My grandmother taught us prayer and she exemplified prayer in a life, you know, that you can look at and be like, okay, I, I understand God because I see him at work. And, um, so she would pray, and even with my mom, when my mom first went in a um, state mental institution, they said it was one of the most severe cases they had ever seen, and that they don't think that they didn't think she would ever come out. And I, I heard my grandmother for about two weeks straight just hold to God and pray and travail and moan and cry out. And one night she just stopped and she went to bed. And about two weeks later, my mom came home. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> See, that's so, and amazing. I, yeah. And years later, I asked her, I said, um, I said, I remember that. I said, why did you, uh, I said, why did you, I said, why did you stop praying like that? She said, cause he answered and he told me she was all right. And she was coming home. I know she said, right. I got the answer. She said, and I was confident in the answer. I know that's right. <laughs> I know that's right. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's that she just, she just. Let's give a shout. Let's shout out to the grandmothers out there who, who, you know, yeah. hold the house down for everybody. The matriarchs Man. of the house who who pull up to the bumper when when they need to take pull that family together. Yeah. Right? So when I even when I got ready to attend college, I said, "Mama, um, I want to I want to attend college." She said, "Baby, I ain't got no money." She said, "But I got prayer." She said, "And God's gonna give you favor," and He did. <laughs> he did. I was scholarship. That's right. All the way through my that's master's. right. Yeah, and He did. He did. You know? So that was I mean, my, that's my foundation, prayer and the word of God. I, people believe what they believe, but I, I know what works. Right. I know what works, not because I read it, 
but because when I apply it, I see the manifestation of it. And so absolutely God every day. Yeah. And also, you know, we have to do a little bit of the work too. We can't just sit back and wait. That's we got to right. do the work too. We have to That's do the work right. too. So you have the gift, you know what I mean? And you have to yes. have the faith that it's going to work for you and, and be yes. ready and be ready. Yes, yes, yes. I actually had to explain that to someone who thought they were um, denying me a job. I said, I think you all have it confused. You think that you open doors, but that's not how it works. God opens the door and I'm prepared to walk in it. And he opens the door because it's his will for me to walk in there. There you we go. Don't create opportunities. Don't create. <laughs> Appreciate it though. <laughs> that's right. How did you get past, um, you know, you have years of, of childhood trauma, you know, maybe some verbal abuse, whatever goes along with that. How do you get past that? You know, a lot of people um, go through it. I, I maybe I, I want to read a couple of little statistics here. Um, 80% of, of sexual assaults are by acquaintances. 95% of child victims know their attackers of, 40 percent of the males are left with psychological scarring. How do you get past all that stuff? That's a lot. You know, that's a, that's that's a whole lot. And, that's a and, lot. And and I'm not even. I I just scratched the surface of the things that I've seen and been through. I didn't even go in in depth. I for me, share what you want. I mean, we're for me. If you life like. was for me, life was moving so quickly, and I think it's like this for a lot of people who are experiencing trauma. Uh, one of the defining moments for me was when I was in high school and I had an experience at home and I went to school and um, the school nurse was like, and that that's the thing about it. When God, when God, when your heart is, is, is for God, he will always put people in your path to give you a way out and to guide you in the right direction. Yes. And there was this lady named Belinda Miller, and she um she was like the mother of the show choir of the group that I was telling you about that I was in in high school. And so at one morning, I had an up, something that happened at home, and I went to school, and I walked in her um in the clinic because she was the school nurse. I walked in the clinic, and I looked at her, and I just started crying. And then she said, "What's the matter?" And I just went and got behind one of the curtains and I just, I just lie, lie down and I just cried. And at one point she got so concerned she was going to call Child Protective Services, but I told her not to. And I just, I cried from the time I got to school until about maybe 1.55, 2 o'clock until it was time to go home. But when I got up from crying, I said to myself, I'm going to make something out of myself without my parents. And that was the defining moment for me. And for then I just started working, working, working. And I was moving so quickly until the trauma wasn't, wasn't a factor at the time. Right, yeah. The trauma really did not hit my life until later on when things began to slow down and I began to notice certain behaviors and began to notice that I couldn't keep relationships. And I was anxious a lot. Um, and the trauma impacted me so badly that it was almost, particularly after my grandmother um, passed, because um, it triggered abandonment in me. 
Yes. I felt like I had been abandoned all over again. And even though death is natural, I knew she had to go. You know, she was 84 years old, raised, did all of this stuff. And I, and I wanted her to rest, but I felt like a kid who had been abandoned all over again. Yeah. And I sure. felt like out of all the things that I had experienced in life, this was the thing that gave my brain a flat tire that said, we can take no more. You have no more compartment, no more compartment, no more compartments to compartmentalize the trauma that you should have been getting dealt with, but you've just been compartmentalizing it. You and were it's full. been showing up in yeah. everything that you do, but you have no clue because you've accepted this as who you are. Right. If that makes sense. And learn how to <laughs> learn how to deal with it rather than to fix the problem. Because God. when your grandmother passed, that was like you said, that was your kinship. That was your rock. That was the person who was in your corner, who was the the rock all the time. So right. when that person passed, you were you felt abandoned. Of course. Right. And so, and so I, I um I, I had a doctor's visit uh soon after that, and my doctor said, Are you okay? And I looked at her and I said, absolutely not. I said, I'm crying all night. And uh, I, I told her, because she knew of my relationship with my grandmother and she said, oh my God. And she said, how long has this been going on? And I told her and she said, that's abnormal. And so uh, she assigned me to a therapist at the, at the VA, Dr. Johnson, shout out Dr. Johnson. Man, that young dude, I was like, at first when I walked in, I was like, what this young dude going? <laughs> <laughs> He don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Listen, he made me put in that work. And, wow. I, and, and I began to peel back the layers of, of who I thought I was and, and what I thought I was. Talk about it. Talk, Talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and conforming and being this way for this set of people and that way for that set of people. And then, you know, just a ball, walking ball of dysfunctional looking functional confusion yeah and as i began to peel away all of those things i discovered that a lot of the things that i thought i was a lot of the the ways that i had that i thought defined me they did not that was trauma you know that was trauma speaking showing up in my life trying to protect this little boy right you know and so uh it forced me to open up the gates and let, let that little boy out and uh and I, I and for the first time in my life, out of all of my accomplishments, I said, I feel like a grown man. You just said it. I just <laughs> took the words out of my mouth. Because what happens is, is that you were stuck, you were stuck in time as a little boy. Absolutely. And that's how you were dealing with it. That's why you were not functioning in relationships and dealing with people, because you get stuck in time. Can't trust. You you know, cannot trust. At bay. Um, it, it just, it's just a lot. And so um, now I spend my life and my time, um, I work with young people. I love working with young people. I particularly work it, love working with that segment of the population because um, uh, many of them don't have the support system. My grandmother was a great support system. That lady would work sometimes from Sunday to Sunday just to make sure that we could play extracurricular activities. Yes. And that's yes. the kind of work that you don't voluntarily volunteer and right. go do. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of kids don't have that support system. And so 
You know, if that involves me, you know, speaking to parents and say, hey, do they need some school clothes? I'll buy them. Right. If that involves me, I, I have, uh, I, and I'm not saying this to be braggadocious, but I have um, my, I call him my son, my godson um, in Atlanta, in the metro Atlanta area. Shout out to Devontae. Um, I ended up um, mentoring him when he was in middle school and some things happened with the family and I actually took him into foster care and I, I raised him. And, and that, that happened from school that I raised him. And he's a functional grown man, 29 years old, where the wow. family owns his own business in the metro Atlanta area. Right. But those are the types of things that when, when God allows you to come through situations, it's not for you. Right. It's, and so as scarred as I was and still am in places, as broken as I was and still am in places, that wasn't for me. Yes. That was for somebody, somebody else. else. That was for somebody. And God has restored my life to a place where I show up at work and say, hey, I got, I'm full of light and I'm full of life. Right. Who need That's Who right. Need exactly. And here's the other thing too, is, <laughs> is no matter how, how, you know, functional we think we are, we're still all a work in progress. Yes. yes. You know what I mean? So we're all working to be better. We're all working to be complete. We're yes. all working to be the best that we can be. And it's our yes. job like you did and had my hat goes off to you for that is if you see somebody in need and you're able to help give the service. Yes. And I don't mean it like a service, like service, but I mean, like give the love, help mentor that person, lead them in the direction, give them a leg up. You yes, know what I mean? That, that's what, Teach that's them so what that, you know. Right. Those are the kind of, I, I have uh, my mentor and I call him my father. I'll, I tell him all the time, if God had um, allowed me to pick through every father in the history of time and allowed me to pick one, it would have been you. Um, his, his name is Curtis Ram. Shout out to Mr. Ram. He's actually a very renowned opera singer. Um, sang at the Met, La Scala. That's the person that really helped me start finding my voice. I didn't even know I had this much voice and he helped me to find these five octaves that I have. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. I moved from, from yeah. bass low C to soprano high right. C. <laughs> he, he helped me to find all of that. Shout wow. out to him. But anyway, he, um, he, when I was in college, uh, when my grandmother said, God's going to give you favor, that man um, had never seen us before. And it was myself and two other of my um, peers at the time. He treated us like he was like we were his kids. And uh, when I got ready to go to grad school, he, he made sure I got to auditions and and he knew people and pulled strings. But that man, uh, many days, he did not know that I didn't that I didn't even have food to eat. And um, he would just say, what are you doing for lunch? And I would be like, I don't know. Come come on, you eat lunch with me. And he would turn right around and say, what are y'all doing for dinner? Mm -hmm. Y'all going to dinner with me? And we lived and dined in Piccadilly. Uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> Daytona Beach at Bethune-Cookman University. So, and the only thing that he asked, even till this day, is that you do it to somebody else. You do that for somebody else. The, the same, whatever, the, everything that I poured into you, you poured into somebody else. That's right. That's all he asked. He said, I don't want anything from you. If you do that, that will be my payment. And so that's what I tried to do. Pass it on. Pass yes. it on. Yes. That's right. That's yes. right. Give to others what causes you to live. Absolutely. Light causes me to live. Hope, faith, all of those things. And it's all of those things together are, are, and 
are strong enough to break through anything that we could ever experience. Absolutely. And that's why I'm sitting here today. Right, right. And that I want to also talk to you about this too. What is what allowed you to go to therapy? Because a lot of times we as people of color, we as men of color don't want to go to therapy. We don't believe in that. We were never taught to, our parents didn't, you know, mental health was never an issue that, you know, no, like we said in the beginning, nobody discussed it. Nobody talked about it. This person's crazy, but we never went and took steps to, to, to help ourselves. Right. What, so what allowed you to be open to do that? So I watched my mom, when I say my mom had serious mental illness, she had serious mental illness. And so it wasn't a lot of information at that time. And so I watched her take pill after pill, go to therapy, go through this. And she just never could get over the trauma she experienced. And I just made up in my mind that I wasn't going to live my life like that because I saw the end, the end, the end that it brought her to. And I just made, I just, and, and, and for me, it was breaking the cycle because, you know, she's not the only one in my family who suffered with mental illness. And I said, listen, I'm not going to be walking around here dysfunctional and, or even worried about what people are going to say because I'm trying to help myself. Right. Because um, if you if you if you don't have mental health, you have nothing. It, it so impacts everything. Very true. Every, every single every thing in your life. Your life. Everything. And so I just made up in my mind I was going to put in the work to be a better person to be to find out who I am because right now that I was at the time I was like I don't know who I am. I, all I know is I'm a, a a grown man who experienced extreme trauma who is stuck in several areas as an adolescent and as a little boy. Right. And I need to break a out a broken this. individual and how right. do I make myself become whole again? That's how do right. I start to fix and repair the things in my life and address some issues and concerns that I've had for years? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so I, I just made up in my mind that no matter what, I was going to do the work to be a whole person, not just for me, but I work with kids who have been broken and who are broken. Um, I, I mean, this, it's ugh. I, I can't even. And I, and I got to say another thing, too. My hat goes off to people who are educators and teachers, because as we're talking about, you know, your situation, this is what the kids are bringing in to you on a Absolutely. daily basis in order to get their education first. So you're dealing with all their stuff in order to teach them whatever it is that you're there to teach. Well, you know, the, the thing you, you just said something that, that's uh, very profound because uh, I spend a lot of my time um explaining away things to teachers um because for them if you've never experienced trauma you don't understand and I remember I had one teacher to say um well what happened to her today and I said no trauma is not a, a one-time event right it is something that happened or that is happening that is impacting the mind of a child so pro so profoundly that their brain triggers fight or flight consistently. Mm. Humanly, we are not built or equipped to deal with that until we're 25 or 26 years old. But in the brain of a child that's been traumatized, 
that takes the place or takes dominance of the part of the brain that should be absorbing information to help you learn. And how does that impact you? Well, number one, you're not going to learn as much as you should learn. Right. It impacts you as far as executive functioning. I remember talking to my therapist and I said, you know, as, as intelligent as I am for a long time, I thought I was slow and stupid. I did. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I would have, I would have a, a hard time with short-term memory retrieval and organizing tasks. And he said, no. And I, and I said, do I have ADHD? He said, no, those are characteristics of trauma. And also physiologically, um, science shows that it impacts your body physically. Those kids are, normally don't grow as well. They normally have a shorter lifespan. There's so much science behind it. It's high it. stress. It's yeah, stress. It's high, it's, yes. Yeah, that's actually, what it is. That's how it manifests in your body. Absolutely. Of course. Yes. And so um, I spend my time trying to inform teachers, listen, this has nothing to do with you personally. This child is trying to deal with something that they shouldn't be dealing with that adults can't even handle. You know, I have one, I, I've worked, I have one student one, once who had both parents dead and, and, and knew the parents, saw them on drugs and not just one, I've had several students like that, but that's traumatic. Right, you it want is, them to come and, and sit and just learn algebra, not without showing them that you care first. Right. So, so we, at, you know, I, I attended Bethune-Cookman University and uh, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune had a, a motto that said, uh, says we're educating the head, the hand and the heart. And so- um, I know we, that's right. Yeah, you can't educate yeah, the head yeah. and, and, and the hands without educating that heart. And so when you get the heart of a child, and that's why people say, you know, I can get, I could always get the most difficult children to, to, to behave or, you know, just to come to themselves. It's because they know I care and I have no motive or agenda other than to care, other than be a light and other than to help you escape what people help me to escape. Right. And that, that's a bad outcome. Oh man, that's a lot. That's why I advocate for teachers pay increase because mm -hmm. you guys take on a lot. You take Absolutely. on a lot. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But somebody so, has to do it. Somebody has to do it. Right. And, you and know, we could deal with them now or later. Right. You, know, you can deal with them now and help them through what they're going through or dealing with them, deal with them later when they're robbing you in the streets. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's the way I look at it. Exactly. Yeah. Where are you now in, in terms of life and living and, being right now I have several things going on I'm actually uh I'm a writer um I I love to write um you know it's funny because the pandemic pulled us away from church and I had just started back attending church um and so um the church that I attend now I'm kind of I'm I'm easing my way back into church um I I think that, and this is a whole a whole other conversation, but sometimes your experiences with, with church can be just as traumatic. Yeah, true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. When you have abusive leadership or exactly leaders who shouldn't be leaders, but who are have a who have anointed themselves leaders. Anyways, I got in the way. Now, we'll come back. That. We'll come back and have a conversation about that. Yeah. I'll invite you back for that one because I'm, I'm in on yes, that one. Sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have stopped. Um, attending church for a long time, but I, I never stopped loving God. And so um, I'm a writer. And so I just pinned uh, 
a couple of um, songs that are centered around prayer and, and worship. And so I'm actually in the, in the um, midst of producing those. Um, and um, personally, uh, as far as uh, my employment and stuff like that is concerned, I just took a new position as a coach uh, uh, and instructional slash interventionist. Look at that, intervening, interventionist. Wow. Yeah. School. And so I That's work big. with kids who are having difficulties, like the ones we are just talking about, and, um, and that impact them academically, socially, and emotionally. And so I work with kids like that. And so it makes sense because you relate to the experience and you know how to exactly. help. Yeah. I can love yeah. on them babies. And right. It's going to be all right. Exactly. Yeah, go on and cry. Get it out. That's you know? right. That's it's right. All right. It's all right. We're still going to learn. We're still going to get through it. Have your moment. So that's that's what I'm doing. And I'm looking to get more into that work. I feel like I'm healed to a place, even with adults. I, I, I even mentor a lot of young adults. Um, shout out to one of my um, um, young, this young lady that I mentor. Her name is Trudy. She's overseas playing basketball. And she's another one who's a survivor of childhood trauma. She, um, when I first met her, it was uh, she was a freshman in high school, and I was talking to a counselor, and she walked in and she said, "What's your name?" And I said, "Mr. Smith." She said, "You're my godfather." And I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> and so she she started coming by my classroom, and um, as I began to, to get to know her, she began to reveal to me that she, you know, had going through similar, uh, her experiences. And then she was in foster care and I explained to her my, I shared my experiences and we stayed in, in contact and God blessed that young lady to get a full a full ride um, to college off of a basketball scholarship. And um, now she's overseas playing professionally. So those are the kind of things that I do and I, that I like to see young people achieve or whatever it is. I don't care if whatever you do, make the best out of your ability. There's a scripture, because I know you got to go, but it, there's a scripture in the book of Proverbs. I think it's in the book of Proverbs, or the book of Psalms. It says, a person who does not use his gifts and talents to heal himself is like a person who would take their own life. That's deep. That's very deep. That's heavy. That's very deep. And so I spend my life helping my students to, uh, and kid, young people or anybody that I, that I interact with who have, who have experienced those things that guess what? In all of that, all of that earthen, torn brokenness is a hidden treasure. Mm. <laughs> and you're the only one carrying. That's right. And if you can ever allow God to penetrate all of that hardness, you'll find that you have something in you that could take you a long way. I performed opera, Mozart, Puccini, Verdi. I think I grew up singing in church where we didn't even have a classically trained pianist. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Who would know? Who would know? Yeah. So, you know, you, 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 that, those are the types of things that I, uh, in, aspire to do you know um be a light and be life that's it water to the thirsty food for the hungry all things to all people that some might find their way i like that i like it and listen you just said everything and you know it's not just about talking the talk it's about walking the walk and yes. you you are the light so i appreciate you for that
All glory to God. Man. That's right. So please tell everybody how we can get in touch with you, how we can reach you, how we can follow you on social media. Um, you can pull me up on Facebook, um, Benjamin Smith. <laughs> it's funny because uh, one of, I, I hit up one of my old teachers and she was like, Ooh. But then when she saw my work, she was like, okay, so don't let the edginess fool you. Cause I do have, you know, my shirt off, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's for a reason. So on Facebook, Ben Jamar Smith and on Instagram, Jamar823. And the other one I just made, um, I, I can't think of it right now, but uh, it's, it, it's, oh, Gemini, Gemini twins, you, the letter you, lowercase love, L-U-V to hate. Okay. So those are my, those are my contacts. Those are the contacts. So make sure you follow him, everybody. Please, please, please go there. Check out some of his work and get some of that light. I want to thank you for being a guest here on One Mike Night Podcast and sharing your story. I really, really appreciate it. And I know that you're going to inspire some people along the way. And I want to invite you to come back. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about what we what we mentioned before because that's a whole listen that was part of my seriously that was part of my trump what i'm telling you i almost oh yeah. man that's a whole situation yeah um, that's a whole situation whole situation and we'll talk All about in the that. name of jesus <laughs> it, <laughs> it was in his name too man <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys i gotta get out of here please follow us at one mike night one mike night is spelled o-n-e-m-i-c-n-i-t-e make sure you go to the youtube watch the video rate us subscribe follow leave a comment you can also listen to this on all the digital platforms of podcasts we're on apple iHeartRadio, spotify anchor if you want to support this podcast please go to anchor dot fm backslash one mike night and you can show us some love there one mike night has been around for 15 years support me supporting artists that's how we do here you can also follow me at marcos luis on all social media go to the dot com find out what i do m-a-r-c-o-s-l-u-i-s and i want to thank you for joining me on one mike night podcast see you next time